Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist and the Voice of Compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Matt, can we get a check-in from Cambridge? Uh, Yeah, sure, Tom. Actually, so here in Cambridge, um, things are fine, relatively speaking. The uh, COVID crisis here is well-contained at the moment. Uh, Certainly, we're down by about 90% on our caseloads and deaths and whatnot compared to where we were about three months ago. And uh, most things in the state are mostly reopened, and uh, everybody here in the Kelly household is doing fine. So uh, at the moment, at least, you know, we've got this under control enough that, uh, you know, there are other states that deserve more help and attention, and we should focus our, our resources there. So, listeners, today we're going to take up, we rarely put the words sleazy, sleazy and compliance together, but we're going to take up one of the worst sleazy examples of compliance failures I've seen recently, the Deutsche Bank settlement with the Department of Financial Services of the state of New York. Matt, you want to set the background on this? Yeah, uh, sleazy is, to put it mildly, I mean, this is just a gross story all the way through. Uh, So I think many people might already know Jeffrey Epstein was the notorious and convicted sex trafficker uh, who served time in the late 2000s for running an underage prostitution ring um, and had a long history of hobnobbing with rich and famous people and then inviting uh, young girls to attend these parties and uh, women of an Eastern European descent, which is how they phrased it in the New York State's consent decree. Um, you know, the guy was a human trafficker. He was a pimp. He was a pervert. Uh, he was convicted of dabbling with underage prostitutes himself. And then uh, he was facing charges again, new federal charges in 20. 20- in 18, I think he was arrested, taken into custody, and then he hanged himself under mysterious circumstances while in federal custody last year. Cue the conspiracy theorists who wonder whether or not some of Jeffrey Epstein's famous friends, uh, who include President Trump, Prince Andrew, and who was the third? Alan Dershowitz and many others, um, you know, How did he die in federal custody uh, while he has so many famous and powerful people who he might have flipped against had he lived? Um, You can see all of that, but um, that's all about Epstein. Really, this story that I looked at was Deutsche Bank, which worked with Jeffrey Epstein from 2013 until 2018 when he was uh, picked up by the feds. And that is when Deutsche Bank finally fired him as a client. And the many, many compliance and oversight and monitoring failures that Deutsche Bank did during those periods, um, basically so they could have a lucrative client. And we can go in from there, but that's that's a nutshell. This is just an appalling lapse of compliance on Deutsche Bank's part. So, Matt, you broke your blog post down, and we'll cite, of course, to the blog post in the show notes. 
but on the negligence during the onboarding process, poor monitoring during the pendency of the relationship, and then miscommunication uh, at best throughout the bank uh, at near or at the end of the relationship when it was spiraling downward. you want to start at the beginning and detail the failures you were able to see? Yeah, I think that the uh, flawed and negligent onboarding at the start in 2013 were sort of the original sin Deutsche Bank had uh, in its dealings with Jeffrey Epstein. So Epstein joined Deutsche Bank in 2013 as a private banking client. He came over thanks to a bank relationship manager who had worked with Epstein previously. And Epstein was looking to move away from his prior bank, uh, reportedly to be J.P. Morgan. Um, and basically, I am unclear on if his prior bank said get out or he just decided to move. But the relationship manager at Deutsche Bank told his bosses, Epstein is a lucrative customer. He could generate three to four hundred million a year in flow uh, from the assets that he would bring to the bank. And that would lead to two to four million in fees annually for Deutsche Bank. And um, even right then, almost immediately, that relationship manager told the bank and his bosses there that all Epstein related accounts should be for entities affiliated with Epstein, not personal accounts, quote unquote, not personal accounts. Um, so they knew right away that Jeffrey Epstein had this radioactivity about him and that should be dismissed, avoided, evaded. Um, what happens next is, I think, important but fuzzy is that the relationship manager's boss, the head of wealth management for Deutsche Bank, um, he said that he had talked to the head of AML compliance for the Americas at Deutsche Bank and for the general counsel at Deutsche Bank. And they both said, sure, Epstein is good to go. Uh, and he can skip any further review from the bank's America's Reputation Risk Committee, which typically would look at a client as radioactive as Epstein and do a much more diligent uh, due diligence background check. All of that went out the window. Um, so what got to me was that along the way, some junior staffers had done due diligence on Epstein, and they composed a memo that announced he is a pimp and a pervert. He you know, served time for underage prostitution, and he has many settlements in his past related to uh, complaints about human trafficking. Put that memo in the note that went to the head of wealth management, who then came back and said, yep. Talk to the compliance brass. We're good to go anyways. We don't need extra review. Now, what gets to me is that there was no actual record of any of those discussions with the compliance and legal higher-ups. What we have is an email from the wealth manager saying, I talked to those guys. We're still good to go. Let's get Epstein on board. And that was the documentation of any supposed due diligence and remember this, that this is what we have here is just an email saying we talked and we don't think extra review is necessary. That slim, flimsy documentation then came, became the basis for so much else over the next five years. Epstein doing this and that, and it looks sketchy and stinky to high hell. And when people asked, is this okay? They all referred to, oh, yeah, we onboarded him. We have the document that says he's fine. But the document was just an email that said, oh, yeah, we're, we're good to go. And that, I think, really bespoke just a terrible oversight in due diligence. Why? Because the relationship manager had said hundreds of millions in assets for the bank. 
several million dollars a year in fees. And lo and behold, all of these risk concerns just kind of evaporated into a thin little email that said, we're good to go. And that, that, that just, that was item number one. And then we can go on for, for the rest, but I'll take a break right now. That's only item number one, Matt, because there were additional red flags throughout the relationship, <laughs> both with the extraordinarily poor monitoring engaged in by Deutsche Bank, uh, but also enough to uh, raise flags that uh, caused people to raise questions. What did you see around the monitoring of Jeffrey Epstein relationship by Deutsche Bank? Well, uh, you got to love this is the bank. The bank had flagged Epstein as a high risk customer, but because he wasn't an actual government official anywhere, he was not a politically exposed person. He wasn't a pep. So the bank decided to designate him an honorary pep because he had so many powerful friends who were actual peps that he is an honorary pep. Now, Tom, I don't know. Have you ever heard of an honorary pep before? Because I have never heard of that term. I thought it just it was excellent that they did this. But I mean, that's a new one on me. I have to say, when I read it in your blog post, I thought it might be uh, editorial liberty by the uh, editor of Radical Compliance. No, it, it was an actual thing. They designated him an honorary pep. Um, so what had happened was he gets onboarded in the middle of 2013. And within a few months, um, he is starting to open these accounts. Eventually, he had several dozen accounts uh, active under uh, active accounts with Deutsche Bank, including one that was known as the Butterfly Trust, where the beneficiaries of that trust included the co-conspirators from his human trafficking conviction and, quote, a number of women with Eastern European surnames, close quote. That's directly from the DFS consent order. Um, they were They were all beneficiaries of this trust. And right away, you should then think, OK, this is a red flag because the founder of the trust, Jeffrey Epstein, is a known sex offender. Um, and so what happened there was when people, some, some compliance officers did start to ask about the Butterfly Trust, uh, the relationship manager waved away those concerns saying, we have this approval email from back when he was onboarded, so we're good to go. Um, now, only much later did more senior compliance officers at Deutsche Bank point out that this Supposed approval email was not actually an approval of anything. It was just a statement from a managing director saying that, yes, I had a conversation and we don't need to escalate our due diligence anymore. Like that's that's not an, a formal official approval of anything. Um, but nonetheless, they had been relying on that. And by the time more senior compliance people in late 2015 were starting to say, that's not enough. Well, Epstein had already transferred millions of dollars through this butterfly trust to these beneficiaries who, in all likelihood, were victims of sex trafficking. He was trying to pay off and keep quiet. Um, so anyways, let's cut up to, to 2015. Here we are. There's fresh allegations of Epstein's misconduct. And now the bank's compliance officers are saying, no, for real, guys, we have to go and have that America's Reputation Risk Committee take a real look at Jeff Epstein. We didn't do it the first time. We got to do it now. So to prepare for that review, Epstein's relationship manager from way back when and Deutsche Bank's head of wealth management, they go and they met Epstein at his house and they asked him about the allegations against him, which he then apparently denied because those two bank employees came back. They said they were satisfied with Jeffrey Epstein's response. But again, 
we don't have an actual record of what that conversation was about. There were no contemporaneous notes. Um, All we have is that these guys showed up at the meeting of the risk committee. They circulated an email saying, we talked with Epstein. We think we're fine. And uh, so then finally they decided, okay, well, we're going to let Epstein continue. That was the decision of the risk committee in 2015. Now, this is what really gets me, is that Deutsche Bank's head of compliance for the Americas wrote up an email summarizing the risk committee's decision that we will continue to do business with Jeff Epstein, but there are going to be several conditions. There were actually three enumerated in that email. Um, He could do these transactions without prior pre-approval from the compliance team, um, provided that they weren't anything unusual. Uh, And basically all these emails, the three criteria in the email basically said, Epstein can keep doing what he's doing so long as these transactions are not anything that are really strange or red flags. That was in the email. So two mistakes here. First, that risk committee email was circulated among senior bank executives. So it went from senior executives upward as high as the CEO of Deutsche Bank Americas. He was involved in making sure we were going to keep doing business with Epstein, but they didn't circulate it downward to the actual relationship team that was working with Epstein. So they didn't see the email with the three criteria about when he should get extra attention. And then not only that, but when finally this email did reach some of the more junior compliance staffers who would be in charge of a close review of Epstein's transactions, they saw the restriction that if these transactions are not unusual, and they took it to mean compared to everything else he's already done. But everything else he'd already done was already suspicious. So they said, well, okay, it's not anything unusual. He's been doing suspicious transactions since since 2013. And now we're saying, you know, so long as it all seems normal, let him keep doing it. It was that miscommunication and misunderstanding, which uh, New York regulators were not at all happy about. And I'm not quite sure they believe that excuse because they they were singled out that they found that hard to believe. Um, But nonetheless, um, because of this miscommunication about what the restrictions were, really, the restrictions were toothless. And so Epstein continued to do business with the the um, with Deutsche Bank right up until he was about to get arrested in 2018. And that's finally when Deutsche Bank realized that the juice was not worth the squeeze here and they got rid of Epstein. But they had allowed years worth of transactions, which most certainly were payoffs to victims of human trafficking and Lord knows what else. Um, it just it all stinks to high heaven. And so it was a flawed onboarding that led to poor monitoring. And then when they did decide to try to get serious about monitoring Epstein, they miscommunicated to they sent the wrong message to the wrong people who didn't therefore know what they were supposed to do. And so Epstein could keep on doing the things that he had been doing for another two or three years. So, Matt, you've been a business journalist for quite some time. Uh, You've seen lots of uh, scandals, lots of accounting frauds other types of fraud. Uh, in listening to you and reading your blog posts, it, it just strikes me that 
this was uh, not really a failure, but I would I have to say an intentional act by the bank to uh, bring on board a very high net worth individual who's going to generate lots of money for the bank and completely looking the other way uh, from not only its own internal rules and regulations, but uh, really all others. You know, I, I have to say that um, it really does look that way. Um, there are many excerpts of emails that are in the consent order that certainly suggest the executives from the very beginning were trying to wave away attention and focus from transactions that would definitely be unavoidable for scrutiny and say, let's structure them this way. He should only have accounts that are entities affiliated with him. It shouldn't be his name in particular as a personal account. Like, come on, you know full well the guy was a creep and a convicted felon and a sex pervert, and um, you wanted to avoid calling that fact out. Um, And I think what really makes this all the worst and especially heinous is that for many compliance crimes and misconduct that we talk about, you know, we, the victims are not necessarily all that tangible. There are some people who would say that FCPA violations are victimless crimes. I don't believe that's true. There are victims of bribery, but they are diffused. And I don't think anybody feels a whole lot of direct impact from FCPA violations. This is human trafficking. There were people whose lives were ruined because of what Jeff Epstein did. And Deutsche Bank helped them do it. And so that just really offends the sensibilities of people all the much more. Uh, and really just, you know, you, you read through that complaint and you want to scrub yourself clean in the shower when you're done. It's just, it's terrible what Epstein did and Deutsche Bank helped them do it. And I would just add, it's terrible what Deutsche Bank did. Um, I guess, Matt, perhaps um, I would like to end with uh, as sleazy as this is and and as clear to me this was intentional conduct, I do think there are some lessons to be learned here. And uh, that is, uh, one, is document everything. Uh, but two, uh, you have to raise your hand and you have to keep raising your hand. And if you raise your hand and your hand gets spanked, or you're told don't ever raise your hand again, that probably means some criminal conduct is going on. It may be time for you to move on because uh, you better believe the senior executives are not going to take the fall for for something. They're going to try to throw everybody else under the bus as well. Uh, You know, that is a very valid point. And, you know, also when you look at the costs and the damage to Deutsche Bank, uh, it is already seen unfavorably by many in the financial world. Uh, it is definitely involved somehow in Russian gangster money that may or may not be affiliated with Donald Trump. There's a whole book about Trump's connections to Deutsche Bank and to Russian oligarch money. Um, and the bank has spent, I believe it is roughly a billion dollars now to clean up its internal controls and compliance operations because they had been that bad. Um, The bank is not doing terribly well relative to other large financial institutions. And uh, the new CEO, had he put out a statement with this settlement that was announced that they are on a transition and a recovery to what had been a very difficult period for the bank. But, I mean, they've spent far more money than anything Jeffrey Epstein ever would have brought into them. And now their reputation is just indelibly stained for, I don't know how long, but you know everybody who pays attention to these things knows Deutsche Bank is kind of sleazy. And when you read these, these settlement orders, you can't really deny that. 
Matt, this has been a fascinating exploration. Uh, great blog post. Uh, I'm afraid we're going to have to continue to follow this story. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me, tfox, at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you will join Matt and I again next week where we take up another topic and take a deep dive into the weeds of it. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being a loyal listener. And we look forward to visiting with you again. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please leave a message on the speaker app on the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.